I'm here with Father Brett Brannon. You're a pastor in Savannah, uh, Georgia. Yes, I am pastor of Blessed Sacrament. And uh, you've written a book on discernment for the priesthood. And um, But one thing I wanted to start asking you about, you give retreats now. You, you told me you have a real heart for giving retreats to priests and helping them. What are some of the, the themes you preach to them, to priests who are on a retreat? Well, uh, I think priestly identity is very, very important. And uh, some priests, depending upon what generation they were educated in our seminaries, mm -hmm. some of them have a better understanding of a correct priestly identity mm -hmm. than others. And, you know, we, um, you know, we always say orthopraxy follows orthodoxy. You can't live priesthood fully and happily unless you understand what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So back in the years when, you know, priests were saying, well, don't call me father and, mm -hmm. you know, I'm no different than you. And they stopped wearing, you know, any type of priestly identity, clerical clothes or whatever. Um, if, if we're not a father, if we don't know that we're fathers, we're not going to survive. Mm -hmm. And so um, I spend a good amount of time just on reviewing that correct priestly identity and what we're called to do. Mm -hmm. And then always, every priest retreat, we always have to talk about prayer because prayer sustains us and we all do it but nobody does it enough and nobody does it well enough and we're all learners we're all beginners when it comes to prayer right. and so we have to um, trying to um, develop a prayer life as a parish priest a diocesan priest and to maintain it is very important because there's no one there to hold you accountable to it because mm -hmm. most priests are by themselves mm -hmm. and out of the way so um, and that's a great encourage. challenge, isn't it, for priests today? It is, yeah. and that's why we have to really have that habit very firmly ingrained when we leave seminary, mm -hmm. that habit of daily prayer, holy hour before the blessed sacrament, divine office, the things that we promise to do to pray for God's mm -hmm. people. Um, and uh, it's so easy for priests to say, uh, oh, well, it's true, I don't say my office anymore, but, you know, my work is my prayer. And I said, mm -hmm. no, Father, all ex-priests say that. <laughs> all ex-priests say my work was my prayer. <laughs> and, it, and the truth is, it's absolutely false. The statement is absolutely false because the opposite is true. Mm. Prayer is our work. Mm. Our work is not our prayer. Right. Our first duty, St. John Vianney says, the first duty of a priest is to pray. And I always say, as my spiritual director told me many years ago, if you don't make your holy hour and pray your divine office, do not accept your salary. Hmm. And I was kind of shocked. <laughs> I, said, I said, what? He said, if I hired you and said the first duty of your job is this and you didn't do this, should you be paid? <laughs> and I said, well, I guess not. <laughs> and so I kind of remind priests of that uh -huh. because God bless them. They're, they're good men and they love mm -hmm. the Lord and it's, they're not intentionally not praying. They want to mm -hmm. pray, but they struggle with prayer. Right. And, um, and oftentimes they don't have a spiritual director, and that's a, you know, a cardinal sin there. We, mm -hmm. we, he who is his own master is the disciple of a fool. Mm -hmm. We need, you know, St. Bernard said that. We have mm -hmm. to have a spiritual director, especially if we're a diocesan priest, because it's such an unaccountable life. Right. You know, I always remind People, you see that little white, that little white tab that I wear in my room and call, that says to people, interrupt me. <laughs> <laughs> and the, you know, the, the Dawson priest is a life of interruptions. Yeah. 
And I always say we need to pray for the grace to be present and kind to people when they interrupt us. Right. Because some of the most important priestly work is done when it's not scheduled. Mm -hmm. When someone walks in off the street and says, Father, do you have a minute? Right. And you don't. You never have a minute. Right. But you have to because your job is taking care of God's beloved children. Right. Some of the sources like you use like to encourage priests to to make the holy hour, what would you tell them, like Fulton Sheen or? Uh, well, Fulton Sheen is the one who really kind of made it popular and, and spoke a lot about it. I mean, there's no church document that says a, a, a Catholic priest must make a holy hour before the Blessed Sacrament. The mm -hmm. documents say we must pray our divine office and we should have Eucharistic devotion. But Archbishop Sheen popularized that idea, that practice, and, and why would we not expect our men who are to be priests who or who are priests, to spend one hour out of 24 in continuous conversation with God when that one hour basically defines the other 23. Mm -hmm. It changes everything. Right. You know? Right. My spiritual director will often say, the degree of love and attention you give to Jesus in prayer is the same degree of love and attention you will give to your people in your ministry. In other words, if you're looking at the Lord and talking to the Lord from your heart, yeah, we have to look at our bravery and pray our bravery, I understand. But we keep looking up, and we, there is a person here right. named Jesus Christ, and this is a conversation. Look at him. He's looking at you. This is um, you know, St. Augustine's Videntum Videri, looking at him who is looking at you. Right. It changes the way we look at a person when they come and say, Father, do you have a few minutes? We give them our attention. It transforms that, that how we deal with people. I was just reading uh, Teresa of Avila's um, Way of Perfection, and she was talking about prayer, and, and she just hammers away at that point that, you know, be aware of who you're addressing and who you're about to speak to and, you know, who you're conversing with. <laughs> and, yes. and she really emphasizes that point. And, I, and yeah, that makes a great point in the Eucharist. We believe he's there in an extraordinary way. You know, so that should really foster a deep prayer in us. Yes. You said something interesting too last night on the show about uh, like seminarians and the people coming to study for priests. You oftentimes hear um, about a devotion to Mary. You see Mary's intercession guiding them. Tell yes. us about that. So. As a member of the admissions committee at Mount St. Mary's Seminary, my job was to read all the, the dossiers with the files and applications. And one of the documents is the autobiography of their life. And they were fascinating because God calls people so differently in such different circumstances. But the common denominator was, in every vocation story, the Blessed Mother came up. In some way or another, she was a part of leading them to Christ. And, um, and that's why I say to men discerning, you have to have a relationship with the Blessed Mother. Mm -hmm. And she's going to guide you. She's going to point to Jesus. She's going to say, do whatever he tells you. Um, she also, um, the Blessed Mother, protects us from Satan. And his, 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 his weapon is always going to be fear. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. You're not, you're not holy enough. Mm -hmm. You're going to cause a scandal. You're not going to be able to mm -hmm. preach in front of people. You're not going to be able to go to the hospital when someone dies always trying to make, help us. He wants us to make decisions based on fear. Mm. No. The Blessed Mother 
teaches us to trust in Jesus and yeah. not to make decisions based on fear. Mm-hmm. And so she's an important part because Satan, you know, I always say when a priest is ordained, the devil paints a target on his back. Mm-hmm. He can read scripture, strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Yeah. And so um, the Blessed Mother, as priest as well, not just as young men discerning that they should become priests, we have to maintain that relationship because um, she protects us from evil more than we know. Right. And I've, I think it was like in St. Louis de Montfort, I remember reading something about, you know, she helps us to hold on to the grace that we've been given. And I appreciate that more, you know, because you realize how fragile we are and how we can um, turn aside and things. And, uh, but she helps us to persevere, you know, in her intercession. And yeah. I can, I can, preserves the analogy, right, with natural motherhood. That yes. She's very, always concerned about her kids and, and what, what they're doing, doing the right thing. And, uh, well, we say to be born, Montfort said, you know, to be born, we need a mother. To be born again, we need another mother. Uh-huh. And, of course, the church is our mother as well. Mm-hmm. We're born through baptism in the church, but, but the Blessed Mother is our mother also. Mm. And she's especially, I always say, remind on priest retreats, I always say to the priest, some of you have already lost your mother. Mm-hmm. And that can be a, a devastating time in the life of a priest because without a wife and children, she becomes that significant woman in mm-hmm. our life. And we have to have an intimacy with her. And, and she, even when our mother dies, she's there with us to mm-hmm. remind us that we're, we're safe. Mm-hmm. You know, that the church is our mother. She is our mother. We're going to be taken care of. Yeah. I want to ask you, too, about um, the priest retreat. People might not realize it, but you know, we've been, our culture changes so much. And, and even like in the priesthood, um, I think you made a reference to it, but you think of like you know John Paul II coming in and such a great catechist and teacher and Pastoris Dabovobis, his document on the priesthood, and um, there's a big spectrum of understanding and approaches. And when you go to give a retreat, you could be talking to a pretty big spectrum of how people view how priests view the priesthood. Right. But what is the common thread that that you can really speak to and maybe you know, maybe somebody's got a, you know, not a, a distorted view of the priesthood. There's still some common thread there that you could probably tap into. What, what is that? Yes, it's funny when, you know, when you give a priest retreat for a diocese, in the first conference, you look out there and you see the divisions. You see the, you see the um, Latino priests sitting usually in one area. Uh-huh. You see the, uh, the priests who were ordained before a certain year yeah. sitting here. Yeah. The newer priests are over here. Yeah. They're usually in more Roman collars, <laughs> and the other guys are sometimes in you know, flip-flops. And, um, and uh, so you kind of see the foreign-born Irish sitting. To, you know, yeah. you'll often see the, some divisions. Um, but, but the common denominator is that Jesus Christ called them to be a priest. And in their heart, they, they desire to be good priests, to be holy priests. Whatever they've done, whatever mistakes mm-hmm. they've made, they really desire um, to be holy. And we have to, you know, what I tried to do is to really encourage them and say it's not too late. Right. There's nothing twisted within us that Jesus can't untwist. Right. If we ask him to, mm-hmm. he can give us grace on this retreat that, w- that will sustain us, you know, that 
you know, make resolutions that we'll keep until the day we die. He wants us to be holy. He wants mm -hmm. us to be happy. And we want that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I, I think we have to just, we have so many things to think about. You know, was this person a liberal or conservative? Are they for this or for that? Or how do they dress? Or what is their ecclesiology or whatever? Mm -hmm. We have to think about, first and foremost, my relationship with Jesus. My job is he must increase, I must decrease. Mm -hmm. And my job is to bring him to others. And um, I, I, that's, that's got to be the focal point. Yeah. I know one thing that I kind of, and I'm not a parish priest and I've really come to appreciate because we've filled in a lot of the parishes and we've covered parishes that had priests that had, had died and um, and I appreciate more the older I get just the skills of being a pastor I mean that's a developed <laughs> you know job skill so to speak to be able to run a parish and that's a calling uh, and a challenge and um, but that um, that it, you know, it can be an isolated life, you know, there's not many priests out there and, you know, work and a lot of work to be done. But, um, and you, I noticed, you know, you, you use your smartphone and you're tech savvy and you use all the things you, what are some of the, the biggest challenges you see uh, to being a pastor, a Dawson priest? You know, we used to say in the seminary when I was at Mount St. Mary's, we would say to the bishops and the vocation directors, if we recommend this man to you for ordination, we're, what we're saying is that he's capable not only of being a priest, but also of being a pastor, mm -hmm. of taking a Catholic church, a community of Christians, and leading them forward, mm -hmm. setting a vision and doing everything that that entails. There are times when there were men who we just knew did not have those skills, and they knew it as well. Yeah. And we would say to the bishop, we're, we're reckon, he, he can be a good associate. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a kind man. He's holy. He's mm -hmm. a great, you know, he can visit the sick and bury the dead. Mm -hmm. But he does not have the skills to be a pastor, and we don't recommend him for that. If you want yeah. to still ordain him, understanding yeah. that. Yeah. And most of the time, the bishop needing priests would ordain him, and then yeah. something would happen, and he would need him desperately, and he ended up sometimes would put that priest as pastor, mm -hmm. and oftentimes it ended in disaster. Mm -hmm. And... um. You know, every priest is not called to be a pastor. And it does require a specific skill set. And, and, and one of the biggest is simply juggling a lot of balls. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the number of phone calls and emails in a given day. If you have an, a, a decent-sized parish, just the number of phone calls and emails, each one asking you to do something or to be there for something. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and keep priorities straight is the hardest thing because we want to love people and want to serve them. So many young pastors say yes to everything that's asked of them. And it's like, no, the people of God, they love you and they want you there, but they don't know what you're supposed to do. You know what you're supposed to do. You yeah. were trained. Yeah. So you've got to say to them, you, you come to as much as you can. Uh -huh. I I have something else on my calendar at that time. I'm so sorry I can't come. You don't have to tell them what it is. Right. It might be your exercise. Yeah. It might be that you, that's the time for your holy hour. Yeah. If you were to say to them, well, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm supposed to pray at that hour. Oh, Father, you can pray later. This is the kids' ball game. Don't you want to come? Right. They will say that because they love you, not understanding that that is critical. 
And it's always something, right? It's always something. Oh, <laughs> yeah. so you could run yourself 24 hours a day yeah. like a rat yeah. in a wheel. Yeah. But you won't survive. Yeah. And we want to be all things to all people. Right. But we have to remember we're nothing without Christ. That's a good point, too, because I, I think people are well-meaning, and they just they don't, they can't make that decision for you, and they don't know the demands of your life. Right. And they don't realize, you know, it, you, you know what you can do and things. And. I used to always say to our young seminarians and young priests, if you're an owl, pray at night. Mm -hmm. If you're a rooster, pray in the morning. But I, what I've learned through the years as a parish priest is that praying at night most of the time is simply not going to work. Why? Because, number one, the crisis of your parishioners or your exhaustion yeah. is going to prevent you from praying well. And I said, I, does, I always say now, if you're a, a, a rooster or an owl, get up early in the morning, make your holy hour, start your day with Christ, because He orders the rest of the day mm. so you don't lose your peace. And he tells you what to do and what not yeah, to do. A, yeah. a religious sister was uh, giving a talk recently, and I heard her say, you know, she said, one day I'm going to um, meet Jesus face to face, right, Father? And I said, yeah. And he's going to review my life with me, right, Father? And I said, yeah. And Jesus is going to say, okay, now, he's gonna be, we're going to be going through my life. Here is when you did this, and here's when you did. And then Jesus is going to say, and then you did this. Sister, when did I ask you to do this? Now, her, her point was, sometimes we're running everywhere, right. but we're not doing what God wants us to do because we haven't prayed. Yeah. St. Saint Augustine says, Bene coret sed extra vium. He runs well, but off the road. <laughs> <laughs> In other words, because he hasn't prayed, right. he doesn't know where the Lord wants him spending that time. I always say to young priests, look, there's certain things you've got to do. You've got to say Mass, you've got to hear confessions, you've got to baptize babies. These are things only you can do. So you know those things are going to be in your schedule. But you're going to have a certain amount of time other than those times. And in that other amount of time, you have to decide where you're going to spend that time. And you need to decide that with Christ. And part of that time needs to be self-care. So I say priests are like firemen. We're not doing something every second of every day, but we're doing things so that we're ready to go when we're needed. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we have to go exercise and we have to go do something for ourselves, so that when we come back, we're able to really be present and kind to yeah. people. I, just, somebody, I heard somebody say it the other day that yeah, if we don't have God as a priority, everything becomes urgent. You know, if he's not to get everything in line, that was always true in the seminary. It seemed like if you got the prayer in, then everything else would fall into place, you know. C.S. Lewis said, if you put first things first, second things will follow along. If you put second things first, you will lose both first and second things. Yeah. <laughs> Clever way to put it. it is. In your own story, um, did you have some big spiritual experience that made you want to be, or did you always want to be a priest from your youth? Or? You know, from the time I was probably eight or nine, it was on my mind, and I would push it away. And um, but uh, I I couldn't understand why it wouldn't go away, especially when high school and when I began dating, had girlfriends and things. But it, it didn't go away, and I knew real, I realized that I was going to have to say yes or no to it. Um, I had always been fascinated by medicine and healing, and I wanted 
I wanted to be a doctor, and I was going back and forth with that. And uh, so I became an EMT, an emergency medical technician mm -hmm. in college, and a number of experiences, you know, driving or being in the ambulance. What happened was uh, I began to see, uh, I saw a lot of people die. Mm -hmm. I saw people d dead on arrival or dead when we arrived at the car wreck, uh, and I saw people. And I remember my faith, I would say, they're about they're meeting Jesus face to face right now. I wonder if they're ready to meet Jesus face to face. And I can remember in my prayer thinking, I want to help people die well. And the Holy Spirit said to me, I feel like he said to me, well, if you want to help people die well, help them live well. And I thought, mm, you duped me, Lord. <laughs> you know, he, uh, but it was that desire. I want people to be ready to meet Jesus and to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. And that's my job as a priest, day in and day out, open up the church, offer the sacrifice of the Mass, feed people with body and blood of Christ, help them grow in their faith. And don't worry about the success because Christ has risen. He's already won. Yeah. Just, just be at your battle station and be faithful. Yeah. How do you keep, to me, you come across, you know, not as distracted. I mean, there's, there's just our regular civic politics and the tensions in the world and others, all these tensions in the church. Do you get distracted by all that, you know, reading Twitter feeds or news stories? Sure. I, I limit myself. I read enough to stay informed, but not enough to get disturbed. Yeah. Um, I, no good comes from that. Mm -hmm. You know, it is our duty to know what's going on in the church. And so I have a certain amount of news feeds just so I know what's happening in Rome mm -hmm. and what's happening in the United States, USCCB, yeah. and that type of thing. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I get a number of pick and choose different articles from different um, Catholic sources. But I'm very, very careful. I, I spend probably about 30 minutes a day mm -hmm. doing that, reading and mm -hmm. keeping informed, but that's it. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you know, you could spend your whole day just reading opinions about this and that. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, my job is to take care of the people in front of me. Right. You know, one of the, going back to the call and things that drew I know it drew me that um, I felt like I was drawn to the community, like for the prayer life, the interior life that it fostered, and and then later I I was like continuing to discern a call to the priesthood, even in seminary, you know, and and but one thing that drew me was the joy of priests. I mean, we're blessed here to see a lot of priests would come through and yeah. do shows and things. Sure. And I remember it just hit me. I was like, you know, I. I like priests. They're a fun group of guys. You know, they laugh and they're yeah. they have a joy, and that was like real important for me. Yes. And then, and more like after ordination, I think more is that you see, like what you talked about. You know, offering the mass and giving the body and blood to people, and and like confession. That you know, the priest is there to like to bring them, like the power of God into people's lives, and that right. you know, people today especially, but always, but need that grace and need that power and the priests are like right there I don't know if you call it a conduit or whatever but it's like a channel or a, to sure. help foster that reception 
And to me, that's, a, that's thrilling. That's the it thrilling is, part. It is thrilling. That's why young men get inspired, as you did, mm -hmm. as I did, looking at good priest work. Mm -hmm. Because their work, sometimes it's just smiling and shaking yeah. hands with people yeah. after Mass, just being joyful. Right. But again, Christ set up the priesthood uh, very specifically that priests would function in persona Christi Capitis Ecclesia, in the person of Christ, the head of the church. Priest doesn't function in persona Christi Capitis only when he's celebrating Mass or hearing confessions. Right. He's always in persona Christi. Right. You know, now more profoundly at Holy yeah. Mass, but always a priest is functioning in the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Which is why, understandably, people are scandalized when a priest doesn't act like a priest. Mm -hmm. But they're edified and inspired when a priest does. You know, I, I read the book years ago by Catherine Doherty, Dear Father. Have you read that one? Mm -hmm. She had this founder of the Madonna Houses and Pustinia movement, uh, just this incredible love for the priesthood. And it comes across in her book. She's very tough. I think she was from Russia and could really talk turkey with priests and things. Mm -hmm. But it just comes across right how much she loved priests. And in her book, she mainly centers on the presence of Jesus in the priest. And, and yeah, just the interactions and bringing Jesus to people and, and talked about preaching too, the importance of that in people's lives. And it was really one of the best books on the priesthood. For me, it touched mm. me most. I think part of it was her love for the priest, but also just that awareness, I think what you just said too, that yeah, acting in Persona Christe and, and through the sacrament of holy orders, you know, hoping to make that good shepherd present to the people. Right. And, what, and people sense that. You know, they hear the voice of the good shepherd, and I think, and they, I'm always, this is false humility, I'm sure, but I, they always ask me for prayers, and I'm always thinking, you know, I'm, I'm wrestling with my own stuff. I pray for myself. I mean, I always, you know, I, I always feel, I always feel like, you know, you're asking me for prayers, yeah. you know. I think you probably pray better than I do, but as you pointed out, you know, that's our role and to it's intercede. Our role, but they not they see Christ in you and they're right. Yeah. You know, the census fidelium, mm -hmm. people know the truth sometimes better than we priest ourselves know it. Mm -hmm. They know that Christ is functioning through that priest. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I encourage priests to do on retreats, I say, Man, your hands have been anointed. Lay them on people and pray for them. Yeah. So often, you know, we, you know, if someone comes out of mass, Father, my, my grandmother's having surgery, would you pray? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, we say piously, mm -hmm. I promise I will remember that intention in my divine office this evening. Uh -huh. You know, the grandmother's right there. I lay my hands on her right mm -hmm. then, and I pray for her. Mm -hmm. When a young couple comes to my office for marriage preparation or counseling, at the end of that appointment, I say, put your two heads together I lay my hands on their heads from my heart. I pray for them. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, they're crying. Mm. It's a very appropriate intimacy. Yeah. A yeah. spiritual father praying for his spiritual children. Yeah. And they yeah. know it. They sense it. Yeah. Yeah. This is the kind of intimacy priests have with people. They tell us everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And our job is to love them, to forgive them, to encourage them, to bless them, mm -hmm. they leave happy. You know, I belong to like a, we call them Teams of Our Lady. It's a national organization to help married couples. And it's like got five couples in it. 
So we we get together, have dinner, pray the rosary, discuss a book or something. And I'm waxing as eloquently as I can, giving my spiritual teachings, blah, 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 blah. At the end of it, I give them my blessing. And that's all of a sudden when they come alive and they'll thank me for being there. It's not for what I said. (laughs) And it always kind of strikes me. All I did was say my standard blessing, you know. But they appreciate that so much. And that's... uh, that's spoken to me, and I, I try to take it very serious now, and I try to pray too at the moment for people as well. But that, yeah, that always touches me when they ask for our prayers, and and they're counting on that. Um, he used to have a man who we buried him two years ago, and he was very, very, he had um, a terrible disease called Proteus syndrome, and tumors would grow all over his body, even from when he was within his mother's womb. Hmm. He was a very holy man, very hmm. inspiring. And I visited him many, many times because he was in the hospital many, many times. Right. And every time he would cut up, we would laugh and you know tease each other. And he would, and then at the end, he would reach out and take my hand, and he would put it on top of his head. Mm. And he would say, in other words, Father, don't leave here until you have right. put your hands on my head and prayed for me. Yeah. And it, it really, especially now that he's died, it, 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 it that that action really is. It profoundly affected me. Mm-hmm. Put your hands on people's head and anoint them and pray for them mm-hmm. because it's Jesus who's doing it and they yeah. know it. Yeah. What, can we, let's talk about preaching a little bit. How do you approach preaching and, and, um, and how do you look at it, like the purpose of it? Sure. Um, you know, prayer and preaching are closely united. Mm-hmm. Because um, we have to, people say, well, I feel empty. Priests will say, I feel empty. I don't know what to say. And I'm, my, my response to that is, are you going to the filling station? Mm-hmm. You know, are you, tell me about your prayer life, your spiritual, your interior life. Mm-hmm. And uh, in addition to that, um, reading or listening to podcasts. Today, there's so many options as you're driving around town mm-hmm. to listen to retreats and things like mm-hmm. that, to feed your mind with ideas um, because, you know, some priests have a greater gift for preaching than others, and some are better administrators. That's like in anything. Yeah. God gives different gifts to different people. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the Second Vatican Council says the primum officium, the primary duty of the priest, is to preach. That's what Jesus did. That's what he told his apostles to do. And that's what we're told to do. And so it's very important. And I say to pray well and to preach well are the two important things that a priest does. If he can do those two things well, everything else is pretty much going to follow. And so um, I I encourage priests because what happens is that, you know, we we say yes to so many other things during the week that we're not giving the amount of time we need to Lectio Divina and taking notes, thinking, Mm -hmm. asking the Holy Spirit what he wants us to say. You know, and we use, after you've been a priest like me now in 28 years, you know, you have so many homilies you've used before, and you know, well, I haven't used that idea in a while, and that kind of thing. But you don't want your spiritual life to dry up. You know, we're always trying to learn new things and grow in new ways. And it's very, very important. Um, So, you know, Monsignor Ross always had great, you know, comments about preaching. You know, he would always say, don't be a sheep beater, you know, (laughs) and uh, and that was his way of saying, don't beat people over the head with the truth like a two-by-four. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
to say the right thing in the wrong way is somehow to say the wrong thing. Right. You know, we, we have to teach everything Jesus teaches. People deserve everything that the Master has mm -hmm. given to us. But, you know, you can't drive a two-by-four of truth over a newly constructed bridge. Mm -hmm. We have to kind of make that decision. How do I get this fullness of truth to people mm -hmm. in such a way they can ingest it, you know, mm -hmm. and, and begin to live it, not overwhelm them? And I think that's, that's kind of a, uh, an error I made as a young priest. It's trying to put too much truth into every homily, yeah. you know, and, um, and they came across as too harsh. And so I, I think we have to, oh, yeah, I say to our priests, listen, if you don't like cafeteria uh, Catholics, don't be a cafeteria priest. <laughs> if you don't like Catholics who pick and choose what they're going to believe, then you don't pick and choose what you're going to teach and preach. Right. People of God deserve everything the Master has taught us. Yeah. And so we've got to, even the things we're not, we're not comfortable with ourselves mm -hmm. because maybe we're not living that teaching well. Mm -hmm. So we'd rather not talk about it. Right. But we have to talk about it. Yeah. You know, because people deserve everything. I find too, it seems like it gets simpler. Like for me, it's like I realize maybe the greatness of this truth, like some kind of simple spiritual principle. It's a lot bigger, a lot more important than I thought when I first started preaching, you know. I said, man, if we really get this, this is a good homily. You know, if I could get this one simple thing out there, that's big. It is. You know? but, uh, I know you have a lot of stories, too, that, uh, that a lot of experiences and things, and uh, I presume you find that very effective. To every, I know every priest has to kind of figure out... Um, his kind of manner of preaching. You yeah. know, if a guy is a, a great scripture scholar, an exegete, then that's what he needs to preach, you right. know? If a guy's a storyteller, and I'm mm -hmm. just, I tend to have a lot of stories mm -hmm. and quotes from the lives of the saints and things, those are just comes to me very naturally. Mm -hmm. So I, d I use a lot of that yeah. and, and um, anecdotes. Um, so we all have to kind of um, find our strength, you know? don't try to preach like somebody else. We don't have those gifts, you know, like right, everybody right. tries to preach but like Archbishop Sheen and doesn't always come, come off too well, <laughs> you know, because we don't have those gifts, you yeah, know, like our yeah. Bishop Barron, yeah. you know. But I, I, I do, um, I think illustrations, you know, Aristotle said the, the first uh, duty of the, of the preacher or teacher is to entertain. Mm -hmm. And what he meant by that was... Um, to Get engage them, yeah, yeah, to engage yeah. them. And whether that's a story or humor yeah. or a quote or yeah. something that makes them engage and listen. Right. And then, you know, and there are a lot of different ways to do that. Yeah. Father Joseph's our storyteller. He's a good story. And he always, he collects the stories. And, and, um, and I would say, well, I just don't have any stories. He'd say, you interview all these people on Life on the Rock. How can you not have a story to tell? <laughs> For some reason, yeah, I just I can't hold on to it or something. And he actually has a file. But, you know, one thing, I, I was listening to the sports podcast. And, and the guy, I don't really care that much about sports. But he, would, he could draw the connection to real life. And oftentimes, he would start his little 15-minute opening thing and he would talk about, you know, when this, when you're ever doing this and this happens, and then he'd go to talk about some story. And I thought, and it always grabbed me, you know, because he was talking about more than sports. Right. 
and I could connect with that opening line or whatever that he had. And uh, and I I try to do that more now, but um, I always thought that's kind of and so I, yeah I thought yeah what can we really do that you know what is our skill set and 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 I it's nice too that I, the older you get too you're not as uh, dependent on people's reactions and stuff you know, you can, like do you feel like when you preach that hey the lord's given me a word here on this text that something sometimes you know, i feel yeah. that a lot more strongly than others yeah you know and but always don't underestimate what the holy spirit is going to do right. those are one of my priest friends tells a story that um he was just giving a talk to a group of high school students at a local high school they were sitting in the in the gym and the bleachers and he said um you know it's just basic kerygma you know who is jesus and mm-hmm. and um, what has he done for us and he said there was this one kid he had his arm around his girlfriend and he was whispering to her he wasn't listening it mm-hmm. was kind of distracting he was pretty rude really um but he said he was he was the one that was really i could tell wasn't listening mm-hmm. and uh, he said that he you know he said about five years later he got a letter and the letter was from that young man who had been so rude. And he said to him, I was the one with my arm around my girlfriend that day, and I was really rude to you. But he said, uh, I want you to know that when you said this about Jesus, I never forgot it. Hmm. And he said, and this year I went through a, a great crisis. And he said, and those words you said have, have sustained me, hmm. and I believe that he's real. And um, it was amazing that, you know, here was the most unattentive, rude person in the congregation, and yet he was the one the Holy Spirit really touched that day. So as preachers, we just have to remember the Holy Spirit's in charge. You know, St. Gregory the Great says, unless the Holy Spirit moves the heart of those who hear, the teacher's voice sounds vainly in their bodily ears. Hmm. Only the Holy Spirit can move the heart. Mm -hmm. But he can use something you say today, 20 years from now. To move someone's heart. Yeah. That gave me great consolation reading that in Acts where it says, uh, like Lydia the Purpler. Yes. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit like opened her heart to hear, understand what Paul was saying. And uh, yeah. and yeah, it's like this thing's not gonna happen unless the Holy Spirit's there working. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> and that's not in humility, we have to acknowledge whether we're we have a gift at preaching or we don't, that nothing's gonna happen unless the Holy Spirit moves. Yeah. And we can't make that. We, we pray mm-hmm. for that. We offer mm-hmm. ourselves. We preach the gospel to the best of our ability. But only the Holy Spirit can move people's hearts. Right. And that, that's good, too. I think you're mentioning that different gifts people have. And I remember we had a, a local priest here. He's passed away kind of young, so to speak. Was, I think he's in his mid-60s, but he... Uh, I don't want to give too much information, but he wasn't a great preacher. He was great in confession. And it wasn't like so much like what he said, but he, he just had a way of coming across humbly. And, and he wasn't like this rock star, flashy guy. And he drew priests too, and priests would go to him for confession, including myself. And I always felt like he taught me more about confession. And something about, I don't know if it was just a flat out gift or just his humility would just draw people to him that they could confess and the way he'd listen. And, um, and it, it gave me an encouragement because you don't have to be the rock star. Right. And yet you could help people. It's 
St. Thomas says, humilitas veritas, you know, humility is truth, and people respond to truth. And when a priest knows that he is nothing and Jesus is everything, mm -hmm. whatever gifts he has or doesn't have, mm -hmm. when a priest knows that, not just in his mind but in his heart, that comes across powerfully to people. Mm -hmm. He's here to bring us Jesus, not about mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's impossible to be holy without being humble. Yeah. yeah. One last topic I wanted to ask you, because you are a, you're a Southern gentleman from Georgia, <laughs> and you got roots in New Orleans, which also has a nice culture and formation people, I think in a very human way. Uh, talk about being a gentleman and a priest. How was the connection there? Well, people expect their, their priests to be well-formed. Mm -hmm. And, and, and human formation was, as vice rector, that was my special area in the seminary. And human formation, you know, Pastor Stubble, and others, Pope John Paul says is first. Mm -hmm. People buy the product because they like the salesman. Yeah. And um, so we have to have a certain amount of polish in how we interact with people. And, um, and that means, you know, how we dress, how we speak, uh, how we, our table manners, um, you know, correct grammar, um, body odor, I mean all of these things, looking at a person when they're mm -hmm. talking to you and not looking away all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, things that we would hope they would learn in their families, mm -hmm. but we can no longer assume that. Mm -hmm. And so if a priest is not a gentleman and in some way really turns people off with his, his manners or whatever, or manner of speaking, or um, then they're not going to listen to him mm -hmm. when he talks about Christ and when he talks about the teachings of the church. Uh, if he's respected as a gentleman, yeah. and um, it doesn't mean that you know you have to have you know French cuss on all the time and be so polished. It just means that you you understand what it means to be a human person, yeah. a gentleman, mm -hmm. and um, you know people will follow you. You know, if they respect you, mm -hmm. and that's a that's a big part. We have to make make sure that our men have good human formation yeah. today. Yeah. yeah, I know priests had an effect on me in that way. Like my pastor growing up, and he was a foreign-born Irish priest, and he just had a dignity and very. I learned later that he was lived very frugally, you know, and didn't like to eat out and stuff. Um, he, but he came across as always. There's something just dignified about him, and um, and here meeting priests like that, and uh, and two, I've come to appreciate at least like the culture about around chivalry or being a gentleman. It's like, you know, men have like kind of this power, this energy God given to transform culture and everything, and in the priesthood, you you know, you forgiving sins and absolving sins and offering mass, and it has to be guided by a gentlemanly quality right. that to not uh, just to use it properly yeah. and not to lord it over people and things yeah, and, uh, yeah it's, it's uh, um, you know how people how priests treat people is very very important and I don't I mean just saying good morning smiling seeing at someone in the convenience store and 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 speaking to them yeah. and um because if you don't, or if you don't do it in a kind way, or you're gruff and 
you know, you, ru you know, brush people off quickly, it offends them. Right. Because you're their pastor. You're supposed to represent Christ. Yeah. And, uh, and they should be offended, quite frankly, right. because yeah. you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah. I, I usually, um, I have this thing that I do, just the way I live my life as a parish priest. I call it ST, sacred time. Mm -hmm. And sacred time is from about 1230 to about 230, 3 o'clock. Uh, in the middle of the day, after I work, I get up early, I say my prayers, do my holy hour, mass, have my uh, lots of appointments in the morning. Mm -hmm. About two hours, though, I'm off limits unless there's an emergency. And what do I do? I eat a very quick lunch. I don't eat much. I take a nap, 20-minute mm -hmm. nap. I exercise in some way. And, um, and then I'm usually back in the office by 2.30 or 3. Mm -hmm. And I end up working until 9 or 9.30 at night. Mm -hmm. My secretaries, I have that on my electronic calendar, ST, sacred time. Mm -hmm. My secretaries say, Father, why do you do sacred time? And I say, so I can be nice to people. <laughs> In other right. words, taking care of ourselves yeah. within reason right. yeah. so we can give ourselves fully to people. You can't reason with unreasonable people. People who are in pain are often unreasonable. Yeah. And people who come to the priest are often in pain. Yeah. And so we've got to be able to be there for them and love them and walk with them mm. in that pain. And to do that, we've got to get ourselves ready yeah. by yeah. taking care of ourselves at a certain right. amount of time. Right. You know, I, I remember hearing somebody complain one time, not about the priest, but just about in general, like, they said, well, that guy doesn't, he won't even talk to you. You know, think of some coworker or something. And I remember it just struck me that, you know, just to make that, you know, oftentimes, as younger, you know, you're thinking about evangelization, you gotta hit them with these truths, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> call them out on set or something. Right. But uh, just to give someone that attention to talk to them. That's right. And they, people respond to that, and then it kind of leads you it's naturally to maybe witnessing in some way. But it's this very simple thing that I think sometimes we can forget. <laughs> it's simple, but some men, because personality and experiences as, as children, their families, they don't feel comfortable often in social situations. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and developing good social skills is essential mm -hmm. when you agree for a, a docent priest because right. we deal with people all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And if talking to people or listening to people makes a person feel uncomfortable, then you need to think of another vocation because right. this is what priests do. Yeah. And if you can't be present to people, look at them and listen yeah. to them, um, they're going to be offended and hurt and they're mm -hmm. going to lose faith in the church. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Even though I know priests that want to, they go, Father, I want to, I want to have better social skills, but mm -hmm. I feel very anxious in, in some social situations. So, okay, well, let's work on that. Let's see mm -hmm. if these are things that we can overcome mm -hmm. uh, because they're going to be an important skill for you if you're going to be, a, you know, a happy and successful priest. Right. Well, thank you so much, Father, for talking with us. And You're uh, very welcome. comes across your love for the priesthood and, and love for priests. And so hopefully this will encourage people out there. Thank, thank you. Thank you. God bless you.